0: It's, it's stuff y'all, y'all getting, have you up like that. Yeah, Mine, we, we have it where you know we can hear when we talk.
1: Yeah, mine's always down though.
0: Yeah, no, I gotta fix it in editing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why didn't you tell me just to oh, keep it up like that? Well, that's great. You know.
0: Just just talking to the mic. Okay. So, okay. You well, know this is this is going to be on. This this is making the cut. Right. Okay. <laughs> why do you have it pointed at your eyes now? Your eyes are not talking. <laughs> He does. <laughs> See now I'm conscious, self-conscious. I know. But it's in, my mouth? Always, in it, my mouth. It's range? always been
1: like down. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, all right. Well, <laughs> Just kidding, time. we've Please been <laughs> cut that. We, we've been doing this for several months, but uh, we're, we're still figuring things out. But we're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us on GPS to God. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to listen or watch. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all those kinds of places. Hit the bell to get notified. Please reach out to us at email podcast at parkwaybc.net let us know topics you want to hear about let us uh, know how great the guests are and if you want to know more about them let us know we'll put you in in touch with them we want to hear from you so make sure you reach out new episodes come out every monday make sure you check out our instagram page and all that cool kind of stuff but speaking of cool stuff we have with us today mr brent mcdonald brent thank you for being here um brent and I have known each other for a little while. We met through his son. His son and I worked together, and uh, we met that way. But uh, he is real life Indiana Jones. That's what I like to call him. <laughs> that's
2: that's part, part of his life. But, uh, I was excited when you said that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs>
0: that's, I mean, that's how I describe him to that's people. So perfect. he he has brought some, some artifacts for us to look at. But um, Brent, to start off with, um, he is the executive director of Cottage Cove, which is a a children's ministry, a Christian children's ministry. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about Cottage Cove and and what you do there?
3: Sure. Um, Cottage Cove has been around uh, 27 years, hard to imagine. And we've often joked about being the best kept secret in Nashville. Um, Most people don't know about us unless they actually have had kids in our program or someone's told them about us. And what we are is a program that helps at-risk kids rise above their circumstances and thrive. And so Um, We have multiple locations. We started originally with one location by the state fairgrounds. And kids come into our program kindergarten and stay as long as they like so we've always said once cottage cove always cottage cove which means mm-hmm. that you know we can have high school students that are still involved and and one of the things we really like is seeing the kids that have grown up and then come back and help the younger kids again after that and this this summer we had you know, three of the teenagers that were back and helping the younger kids and yeah i remember when they were in the program and they're in kindergarten and grade one mm-hmm. and, right uh, that's cool but um, we provide educational opportunities, and with that, um, it, it, it's kind of twofold. Um, homework, mandatory. If you're in our program, you have to be doing homework, and they can't hide that from us. We have a great relationship with the schools on that. And uh, so that includes tutoring as well. And then, um, of course, Christian education is the other part of that. And so we teach the Bible, and um, it, it surprises people often when they come and meet our kids because – they think you know inner city kids. They won't have much Bible knowledge, and cool. we actually work through books of the Bible. And so, if it takes wow. you a year or two years to get through a book of the Bible, you take that amount of time. And uh, and if we're talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, we'll often teach them other extra things that go along with that. Um, most of our kids at young age know the Greek alphabet or the Hebrew alphabet. Wow. Um,
0: well,
2: yeah,
0: that's we, we we don't know that. Mm-hmm. No, no, I fail. Yeah. Yeah. So how the, what what's the specifics of the program? You pick it's after school, so you pick them up from the school and they come to the campus. Yes,
3: um, the, the one closest to here in Madison, uh, we actually walk with the kids. It looks a little bit like the Pied Piper every day, um, walking <laughs> from the elementary school with a whole line of kids, and <laughs> and then some other kids get dropped off. Some of the kids get dropped off by their buses, middle school in particular. And uh, but we we focus on the elementary school first, start at the youngest age, and and work on the idea that. A lot of the problems – a lot of ministries that are focused on teens are trying to fix a whole lot of problems that would have been better to start much younger. Yeah. And, uh, and so we said, let's start at that youngest age and then hopefully not have those problems. Right. And, uh, and so um, at our Tuscaloosa location, we actually have to bus the kids there, so all the kids are bused. And then we're working on a third location, which is going to be right across from Glencliffe High School. Oh. And uh, so we're excited about that one because Glencliff High School, the elementary school, are right across from us, middle school, right to the left of us. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be very easy for kids to stay all the way through.
0: And what, what other organizations partner with you through the Cottage Cove?
3: Well, Cottage Cove is mostly a grassroots organization. In other words, the majority of our support, 80% of our support is individuals. And so families that get involved, and uh, that's where the donations come from. That 20%, we do one fundraiser a year, and we have a uh, few corporate sponsors. Nashville Predators, I have to mention on that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they've been involved with us for a lot of years. And uh, and then um, it, it's really – As I say, people that are saying, you know, this is something we want to invest in. And we we stay away from government money, United Way money, and it all comes with too many strings. And, you know, for example, they'll say, well, we'll give you money, but you can't talk about Jesus in the homework room. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, we're a Christian organization. If I want to talk Mm -hmm. about Jesus on the playground, we're going to do that. Right, right.
0: Go ahead and tell us a little bit about what your fundraiser is each year, your yearly fundraiser.
3: It's called Open Hands, Open Hearts, and it's in November. It just went by. And uh, with that, um, it's a, an evening where um, good food, meal, um, musical entertainment, and then uh, we put on a program as well. And it features many of the kids. And um, the probably the highlight out of it for most people is that we do a public speaking class. And it's kind of been one of my pet classes for years. And, and we teach young kids how to be in a room full of people. And in this case, you could have 200 people at this event. And um, we had for this year a child grade two that was fully prepared to get up in front of 200 people, present an entire speech without notes. Wow.
0: Oh, wow That's Ryan, crazy. could you do I that, couldn't do that now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 32. <laughs> yeah.
3: And as I often say to the kids as we're getting ready for that, you have to know that you're going to have 200 people looking at you going, I couldn't do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Guilty. Yes, (laughs) yes.
3: Count me in, too.
0: Brent, another another thing that you all do at Cottage Cove is called Christmas with Dignity. Can you tell a little bit about what that is?
3: Like a lot of well-meaning organizations, years ago when we first got started, we knew there was kids that weren't going to be able to have Christmas, so we wanted to be able to do something to help them. And we had basically uh, an event where it was – Strangers giving gifts to the kids. Well, the problem was Christmas morning comes, mom still doesn't have anything to give her child. Mm. And so how does that help mom? And so we said, we've got to change that. And so it's been 24 years now, and we created Christmas with Dignity. And the idea behind it is that it's a store. And so the, the parent gets to come and shop. We try and provide everything you need for Christmas. And by everything you need, that means socks, underwear, the winter coat, um, all of those basic necessities, some household items as well that, that they can use for the whole house. And then you want to have um, stocking stuffers. But, you know, the the thing is the little items are what the family can sometimes afford. And so that's not the key for us. The key is that item that they go, there's just no way that's ever going to happen. And, you know, one of the best examples of that was a mom – that it was new in the program. She was in Madison, and and she had never been um, at Christmas with Dignity, so she had no idea what it was. And you know, as much as we tell them what it is, but they still seriously don't get that until they actually walk through the door. But her son had said to her, you know, he wanted to have an electric scooter for Christmas, and she said, never going to happen. It's just in the financial situation they were in. It just mm-hmm. and so she just had ruled it out. And when she comes in and she's greeted and, and someone's explaining how it's going to work and how you get to go through, and she's looking over the shoulder of the person who's talking to her, and there's a whole row of electric scooters sitting right there. <laughs> and she just bursts into tears. Oh, that's awesome. And so her yeah. son had an electric scooter for Christmas.
0: And so I, I have been there. I've been blessed enough to be there and volunteer there um, before. and. You take workers to volunteers to come help work this store, but you also take gifts and things as well, correct
3: yeah, and um we've got some partnerships that are um, allowing us like this year socks and underwear, regular clothing I don't need any of that right now. we have all we need for that, and it's just been amazing how that's been provided for throughout this year um so really, right now, what we need are toys and mm-hmm. those those items the bicycle or you know things of that sort, and so um, we we start gathering that it have been now for a couple of weeks. We'll be doing that right up until really you know the store is December 11th up till December 10th. Preferably before that because it helps us be ready. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: And and Brent did bring a, a flyer, so we'll put that up um, on YouTube, and we'll also put that on, on our Instagram page. So if you can help, um, all the information is there. You can read about that and help a great program who helps a lot of families and uh, does it in, in a really great way. So
3: Hopefully this year at least the families of 230 kids is what we're aiming for. Wow. So. wow. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. How is it as far as like getting into, you said that you partner with schools. How is that getting into schools and everything and... Um, for, for the store, right? Or? Just for the program itself.
3: To get into Cottage Cope's program, um, you don't have to be through one of the schools that's next to us. We okay. we have a few people that um, just ask if you know, can I get my kid into your program? Okay. But we when we moved into a neighborhood, we always said this is a school that we're focusing on. So we kind of introduce ourselves to that okay. school and then know that you know that school needed the extra help because we know the demographics at the school. Gotcha. And uh, and then. You know, the schools do most of the advertising for us. Okay. So you'll That's hear right. you'll hear from the teachers or the administration, you know, you want your child in this program because they see the gotcha. result back in the classroom. Gotcha. And, you know, um, we teach kids respect for authority. And mm-hmm. so – you know, one of the things that's so prevalent in the culture is to disrespect the authority and even just by turning away and not looking when someone's talking or, you know, mm-hmm. things of that sort. And uh, we teach them that, you know, even if you're in trouble, you look someone in the eye, you talk to them. And uh, yeah. and so, you know, th- th- suddenly they react different to the, even the teacher at that point. And they're mm-hmm. going, teacher's like, you know, how did they get this way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And there's a particular hours, I guess, like a typical day. Yeah, and it's it's after school. Okay.
3: um, And then during the summer, we do an all-day program. Okay. And uh, so you know, really from seven thirty all the way through. That's it. And uh, uh, it takes again a lot of volunteers to make that happen. We we have right now five staff, and uh, we're trying to move that up to six. But even with six staff, three locations, Mm. volunteers. Right. And, and so every afternoon, if someone's got an hour or two that, you know, they just come in and um, let a child read to them, mm. um, help supervise on the playground, just, you know, right. and you, know, you don't have to have a whole lot. People say, what skills do you need or what, you know, qualifications? <laughs> Not an awful lot. Just care about the kids. <laughs> you know. That's
2: awesome. Is there a – like, I mean, you're saying about schools or whatever as far as that's one of the main things that you go through as far as that alley of getting kids into your program. Do you ever, like, partner with, like, say, the Mission or any, like, kids that are in that?
3: Too far away from us for the most part. And it just – you know, as I said, we were by the state fairgrounds, which was still far away from that. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, with the gentrification that's happening in the city – The downtown core is becoming upscale. And so we've kind of moved ourselves out into that ring around the city. That's why we're in Madison and Tuscaloosa on the south side. Gotcha. So
0: So that's part of Brent's life. But he has another part where the Indiana Jones comes in. So I'll let him explain, I'll let you explain kind of what you do taking trips, taking groups overseas to, to Bible areas and, and, tours through that but also the archaeology and the digs
3: okay well to back up and tell that story is um, like a lot of people I'm an armchair archaeologist to begin with in other words I read everything about archaeology was fascinated with it and of course anybody who's a student of scriptures has got to like history Mm -hmm. because I mean there's just so much history and so much of the archaeology ties into that and so I spent a lot of time reading about it studying it and figuring someday I got to get over there and three decades ago god opened the door for me to have an opportunity to go over and it was uh, at that time i did some videography and things as well in ministry and and so it was a christian organization that actually does biblical archaeology and they said we heard you do videography and would you be interested in coming over and doing videography for us in the bible lands would be at archaeological digs be over there for about a month we'll pay your way It didn't take me much (laughs) to say yes. He said, let me think about that. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and so what they did was they gave me behind-the-scenes access to archaeological digs and to museums and to just a whole pile of different things. And those contacts, I didn't know at the time I was able to actually continue to develop those relationships and give me that access indefinitely. And uh, That's awesome. and so it it it's ended up that um, on average once or twice a year Angie and I typically end up back in the Middle East on some archaeological dig or you know um, surveying I photo catalog sites and so um, a lot of my images get used in other publications and things of that sort and so um, right. and then I was always bringing something back and and you know <laughs> pe- people often say well you know. How can you bring back artifacts? Well, some of the countries will allow it outright. Um, Some countries have restrictions on it, but... um over time, we got classed as a private museum. So even the countries that have restrictions, I can get permits for it. I can bring items out of the country. Uh-huh. And it started off as a room in my house. And, and then you'd have people wanting to come over and see these. And <laughs> sometimes they'd say, can I bring some friends? And then you're trying to pack 25 people into a 12 by 12 room. And <laughs> Are you charging for this? No, no. Yeah, sure. you're, missing out. you're missing
2: out.
0: Well, okay, so – he, he mentioned it. He kind of alluded. That was the old days. <laughs> he used to be in an extra room in his house. Right. But it has since expanded. So I'll let, I'll let him tell yeah. what the expansion has been.
3: <laughs> well, about 10 years ago, I got this idea that I really needed more space for that. And I, I figured I'll add an extension on the house if the city would allow it. And they did. Um, some conditions on that. And so basically, I have a museum attached to my house. That's awesome. And, uh, um, <laughs> okay. started as a 10 year project. We actually got it done in three and a half years, so we were way yeah. ahead of schedule. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, um, but have just so much more of it out on display now. And so you can actually come in and see the artifacts. Any museum that doesn't let you touch stuff is no fun whatsoever. And okay. so, you know, if if you haven't held something that's 2,000 years old, you're missing out. So, you know, th- those are things I let you do.
0: <laughs> that's great. And when he describes it as a museum, that is not an exaggeration. You, it, <laughs> I, I've been, been there. Uh, it is a museum. But – just like he said, it's without the red velvet ropes keeping you back. You walk right up to the, um, you know, artifact, and they are displayed well in glass cases and other forms, depending on the artifact. But then he'll bring something out. Oh, you want to touch that? Let me put this in your hand. And he has brought several things with us to show and share today. This is like nice. show and tell at school. Nice. Oh, man, this, is, this is an Taking awesome thing. Favorite so, day of the year. I know. Yeah, so uh, why don't you tell us a couple of other things that you've brought and show that. And we'll put some close-up pictures of this on the, uh, on the old YouTube as well.
3: Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about seeing darkly or dimly in a mirror. And so I decided to bring a mirror with me, and it's a bronze mirror. And this one is about 2,400 years old.
0: <laughs> Don't drop
3: it, Ron. Don't drop it. <laughs> and yeah, you can you can hang on to it. Now imagine all the polishing you could do on the bronze, and I mean it would start to look more coppery the more that you polished it up. And so like yeah. the, the green is the patina that's over time on it, and right. then it's been stabilized with a chemical that actually makes the gloss on it.
2: Wow. Here, I'll put this down.
3: Think of the best copper that you could get polished, and th- yeah. th- you, you'd, you'd get a little bit of an image out of that. Yeah, right. But you're not seeing too much. It's not no. a mirror the way we no, think of a mirror. Absolutely
2: right. not. I guess people always thought they had a really good figure at that point. <laughs> they didn't yeah. know what they were looking at. <laughs> no.
3: and it's not the only mirror that I have in the museum. Um, this one is Scythian, and uh, um, the the Scythians. Actually produced, and so did the the um, Doloresh people. They, there were some regions that produced a lot of the bronze, and then mm-hmm. they ended up in the Roman world, and it ended up in the Roman world. And uh, um, I have another mirror that was actually buried with a woman, and it was you know part of her grave goods. Oh, so well. that's one you'd have to come to the museum to see.
0: Wow. That's, that's an invite. Me up, is, yeah. Yeah. We'll, sign we'll, me We'll uh, take a podcast field trip. we we'll yes. take a road
1: trip anytime. When These cameras are definitely...
0: So before, before we get into some of the other, other artifacts, and they all have a story to go with them, which is awesome, um, you do allow people to come into the museum, correct?
3: Yes, yeah. And uh, my conditions with the city, I couldn't have regular open hours for it, so it's not like it's staffed in regular hours. Mm-hmm. You have to call me and say, interested in coming, I'll set up a time. And so, that's really the only condition on it. So you know, you can call or email me and just set up a time. And uh, it doesn't matter to me if it's just a couple people or if it's twenty people. I can do the twenty twenty five easy now. So yeah,
0: he can. He can. So <laughs> I got the room now. Yeah. <laughs> so you can reach out to us podcast at bc dot net. Email us, and we will give you contact information for Brent. Or you can also find him on Cottage Cove on their website. And uh reach out to him through that either way, if you are in the Nashville area and would like to um, make a make a visit over to the the uh, museum, you will not be disappointed and Whatever we talk about on this episode today, tip of the iceberg, boys. There is so much more, and he is full of stories in a good way. So
3: and, awesome. it, and it's not always just things for adults either. Because okay. um, yeah. I, I bring the Cottage Cove kids. Oh, and, I'm and sure. And, you they love know, so it. I've got a wide range of things that are of interest to younger kids as well. Nice. And and beyond, of course, biblical artifacts, I've also got quite a wide range of fossils.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. Some nice. cool ones. Some cool <laughs> ones. So. What, what's something else that you have that you've brought with you? I know I asked you to what, – what you're reaching okay. for, I think, is one of the things I asked you to bring. Yeah.
3: Coins, of course, are um, one of the things that you find a lot of. And, I mean, mo- most of the countries in the Middle East now have actually banned metal detectors because everybody and their dog was out there with a metal detector. And it's it's too easy to dig up sites and stuff, so they just ban them. And um, sometimes they're found as troves. The building was knocked down. It was burned or whatever. And, you know, the it's not like there was banks the way we have banks today. And so often you had an entire jar of coins that you had just taken out a rock in your wall and put it behind that. And if something happened to you, nobody knew it was there. And that the, you find that whole trove of coins. And, wow. Uh, and then some are just found in the cracks, literally. And it's very easy when it's a small coin. And this is one of those. This was found near the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Oh, and wow. it is a widow's mite. And, you know, when in the Bible it talks about the widow that gave all that she had. This is the type of coin that she would have had. And it's from the right era. Could have wow. been one of hers, but you know, no guarantees. Not inscribed. <laughs> and uh, wow. it's um, – That's really cool. The, the official name of the coin is a lepton. And uh, it was cool. a cheap coin.
0: <laughs>
3: it took a handful of those to buy bread, and bread's one of the cheapest things you could buy.
0: Wow. What is what is this made out of typically? It's bronze. It's
3: the same as a mirror. Um, just the quality of it was the cheapest bronze you could get.
2: And forgive me, how old is this? Uh,
3: that one is from around the time of Jesus. Wow. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. Oh,
1: yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so when you go on these, um,
1: do you have to get like clearance to, like, dig. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, you would oh, yeah. have to. So you have to go through. What What is that process? And forgive me if that's a dumb now, question or anything. Uh, but just what is that process on? If you decide to go somewhere,
3: what do you have to? Varies by get? every country. Okay. Um, for example, in the middle of COVID last year, when everybody wasn't going somewhere, mm-hmm. um, on spur of the moment, I said, Angie, want to go to Egypt? And uh, and people say that's possible. And we ended up in Egypt in the middle of that. Wow. And uh, um got great connections in Egypt and okay. I just called up the right person and they said well digs are all shut down right now but we'll get this one open for you and okay. so yeah very cool very cool
0: Angie is his wife for gotcha. for when you hear him mention Angie that's his wife so
3: but you know some countries are so disorganized we we spent some time in Sudan okay and uh and Sudan is well, first off, most people go, you can go to Sudan, and I mean mm-hmm. Sudan was on, you know, watch list for right. the US not to be there. Right. And, right. Uh, but um there depending where you are in the country, there's very little control over the antiquities and there's there's people that are literally just going in and raiding sites. Oh wow. Okay. Wow. So once you're into coins, um, I brought two from Israel. The other one that's mentioned in the Bible quite regularly is a denarius, mm. okay. and it yeah. was a day's pay yeah. for a labor. It's a silver coin. That's crazy. And, you know, when Jesus said to render under Caesar what Caesar is, you know, whose inscription mm. the image is yeah. on it, and you see Caesar on the back of the coin. Yeah. So, again, you're hanging on to an item that's 1,900 years old. Wow.
2: That, that's just mind-blowing.
0: <laughs> that's just so mind-blowing. Cool. And we'll again we'll put some pictures of these all these coins on uh, or all the artifacts on, on YouTube and, and Instagram as well.
2: So like at that time when they're making this at that time I mean or is, there's not like such banks right or is it like people are just making these in their houses kind of thing to make money?
3: No, the government controlled that, and okay. Rome in particular. If it was a silver coin, it had to be minted by Rome.
0: Okay. Uh, Rome didn't okay. allow
3: the, the provinces to do their own silver coins. Gotcha. And uh, um, so some of the bronze coins, that, like this this widow's mite, it's a bronze coin. It could be done locally. And okay. some some of these mm-hmm. were done under like um, uh, Festus or some of the guys mentioned in Scripture. They had their own of these made because they were mm-hmm. allowed to do that. So. Wow. Of course, beyond silver coins – there are gold coins. I didn't bring any gold coins, but museum. I can show you some gold coins as well. And, yeah. Um, they're they're just as there is today. wasn't that many in circulation, and mm-hmm. depending on the region. If you're talking Galilee, Galilee was poor. Almost anything you're going to find in Galilee was bronze coins. You know. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, um, going back further, we we think of coins.
0: My bad, That's me okay. <laughs> I thought you were shaking your head at him And I was no, like, what did he do? I just threw my headphones into the microphone, <laughs> okay. my bad. The microphone You can tell we're real that. professional yeah. Oh, yeah, We're relaxed So, you know, right. when you're Very relaxed so. things, so. things well, I mean, Don't, don't early, always go right Earlier I was right. looking down
2: and I came up and hit my Brim my hat across the mic And I was yeah. like, well, nice.
3: Rookie <laughs> coins that are minted today you know they use molds to do them and they heat it and and you know they're they're pristine every coin looks the mm-hmm. same and that you know, those coins i passed around you, they were pretty jagged around the they were that way when they were done back okay. then because they'd use a two-sided mold and a hammer and hit it, awesome. and and if you missed or hit half on, you get a half mm. strike. Sometimes the guy would hit it accidentally twice, and it moved a little bit, and you get a double strike on it. <laughs> and I've got some of all of those as well, just to wow. show. That's great. But when coins were first coming in fifth century B.C., the oldest coins look more like slugs and just chunks yeah. of of silver, mm. and that's a siglos, and that is from the Persian Empire, time of Queen Esther. And so oh, you man. you see one side's got an image on it, right. and and you'll never figure out what it is. <laughs> right, that's, called,
2: that's what I was trying to look. I was trying to like, what in the world?
3: It it's a king holding a bow running.
2: Yes.
0: Okay. I see it. I see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looks looks like Ryan's li-
3: daughter Lily drew yeah. that right clear. <laughs> and the other side just looks like an indentation, and yeah. that, it's because it was the hammer. You just see where the hammer struck the one side. They were only putting yeah. the image on one side of it. Yeah. Wow.
2: So, like, obviously, you're not selling these. But, like, if people were trying to I – mean, I'm assuming people are still looking for these and trying to sell. Are they very valuable?
3: Uh, some of them can be. Okay. And, you know, bronze coins, not as much. And yeah. now that said, you know, a widow's mite in the condition of this one uh, would probably sell for about 60 or $70. Oh, wow. So, wow. Yeah. Huh.
1: And,
3: you know, um, and, and the, you know um, of course, coins with silver – have more value just because they're yeah, silver to begin with. And it really comes down to who's collecting them. Because mm-hmm. there, there's some rulers nobody really cares about. And you know, there's mm-hmm. no demand for their coins. And <laughs> you know if you have a coin that is one of the, the key people like Vespasian who was ruling at the time the temple was destroyed, mm-hmm. everybody wants those coins. Right. And so I mean you can see coins that go for a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars for, you know, single denarius. Wow. Crazy, that is,
0: <laughs> and you may notice some some of the enunciations, pronunciations, whatever the correct term is for, for Brent. It sounds a little different. He is originally from our friends up north, he is Canadian, okay, okay. born and bred, okay. and, and then yes. relocated That's down it. south. So,
3: nice. um,
1: what brought you down south,
3: Cottage Cove? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. We we lived and traveled on the road for ten years. We were in okay. a different place every week, and okay. and my son Barry actually grew up thinking that was normal, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and he still does some traveling today, not quite as much. Yeah. gets it honest. <laughs> yes, yeah.
3: and then the last coin out of the ones I brought, um, this one is from outside of like of course Persia. We talked about it in the Bible, and. These ones from Judea, you know, mm. that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This one is actually from Syria mm. and Damascus. Quite specifically, it was who ruled Damascus at the time when the Apostle Paul was let down out of the city walls in a basket. Yeah, And that is King Aretas IV, and that's one of his coins. And he was the, oh, wow. the king over that area at the time. Some of you may have heard of Petra. The Nabataean city mm-hmm. that, um, of course, it was in the Indiana Jones. Speaking Malusia. of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, um, Petra was Nabataean city. Okay, And so um, King Aretas, his main palace, if you will, would have been down there.
0: So Ryan alluded to it a, a couple minutes ago, asking about prices, bringing artifacts back. Are there different regulations or laws for you to keep them on – it's in a, a collection, whereas bringing them back to resell them somewhere here.
3: Yes. Many many of the artifacts, um, the governments don't want you reselling. They don't want private ownership of them. And that, that's one of the things that has really become big in the last few decades is that they're trying to stop private ownership. They would rather everything be owned by government museums or, or you know primary museums. And so the coin industry has been kind of completely different. There's a lot of coin trading that goes on, but even that they're starting to restrict now. Uh, countries like Israel, 15 years ago, um, you could buy coins that have been found in Israel. There, there was, you know, almost someone on every street corner that could sell you a coin, and they now restrict that completely. You can't do that.
1: Mm.
0: Another thing I asked you to bring after being in the museum was alabaster and an alabaster jar. Can you show us that?
3: Yeah, and alabaster, of course, we hear about that in the Bible because of the woman that had the alabaster jar and she broke mm-hmm. her jar and then anointed Jesus. And when you think of alabaster, alabaster is a stone. Hmm. And uh, you think, a jar made out of stone? And What would that look like? And, you know, there, there's a, just a crude chunk of alabaster. Hmm. And there are different colorings of alabaster as well, but this is your typical common alabaster. And alabaster... It's found a few other places in the world, but in the Middle East, the primary location that it was found is Egypt. And so Egypt's still big with alabaster. They still mine it and, and you know, turn it into objects. And so to show what a jar would look like, this is alabaster, a chunk of that wow. stone that has been machined. <laughs> wow. And so this is done yeah. by machine. And so you can take the top off that. And Pretty heavy. Yeah, It's a stone. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, look how thick the sides are on it, too. They, they've kept it thick on the right, machine because yeah. it's too easy. You get it too thin, it just blows apart, and you've right. got to be really careful because, you know, natural fractures in the rock, whatever. So imagine what it was like to actually make one of these in ancient times, and they didn't have the machines for turning it and polishing <laughs> it and things of that sort. To do that, you start off with a chunk of rock. You're sitting on the ground. You have that between your feet, and you take another harder rock, and you sit there and start smoothing it on top of it. Oh, oh, and yeah. to do that... To make a jar could take, for a crude one, a month of working on the same chunk of stone. You make one mistake, (laughs) disintegrates, start start over over. again. (laughs) Wow. Yep. And then if you want to do an ornate one or something that's really thin, it could take you three months of working on the same container. And again, the thinner the sides on it, the more likely something could go wrong. Wow. And I didn't bring it with me, but I have one that was hand-done. It took three months to be done, oh, wow. and they did it in the old way. Oh, and wow. uh, <laughs> and so I can show you with that one. This didn't take quite as long. It still has fairly thick sides, although they are thinner than that. Yeah. But this is alabaster done by hand. Notice it's not okay. as pretty.
1: Yeah. How old would that one
3: This is a modern one, and and, and again, uh, there are people still in Egypt that have been trained father to son on how to do this still, and so I I had them do me this one, and and again, I have one that is closer to what you'd have for a a really nice one where the thin sides, you can hold it up and see the light through the stone.
0: Yeah, and one thing about the piece that you have in the museum that is much thinner is how delicate it is. Yes. And also the expense— what, what would the expense have been back in Jesus' time?
3: Well, again, if it's three months' work or four months' work to, wow. to do that, you're paying somebody for that amount of labor mm-hmm. besides actually having to go mine the minerals and things of that that you needed for it.
2: Yeah. Mm. and I'm uh, sure it wasn't easy. No. <laughs> Just to go and, and, get
3: it. And so um, this woman that had this jar, her jar itself was incredibly expensive. Everybody thinks about the perfume inside of it as being the expensive part. But the jar, and again, came from Egypt. So what was in the jar? It's called (laughs) nard. Nard is an essence. And essence is something that they do in Egypt as well. And essence is any organic material that has a smell can be reduced to an oil. And Unlike our modern perfumes that dry up, and again, if you come to the museum, I'll actually allow you to, to, to feel what this feels like because I have some of it. Oh, and wow. uh, One of the
0: coolest parts <laughs> yeah, th- out of so many cool parts, yeah. one of the coolest parts well, that, you that I experienced. <laughs> <Amen.
3: laughs> but the nerd is an essence of a plant that only grows in the Himalayas. Oh. So her plant – that was turned into this had first been almost in India. Wow. Brought back, so it had to come through the trade routes, you had to pay yeah. for all that. Then it's turned into an essence, right. was put into an alabaster jar, and the jar was sealed, and they would usually use a paste on the top of the stone to actually seal that. And then it was brought to Judea. Wow. So incredibly expensive for both yes. the perfume and for the alabaster. Sure. And then because it was sealed... It was a spontaneous thing. The only way to get into it, you'd either have to carve out that seal at the top, and that would you'd have to sit down and take time to do that, or if it's thin alabaster, it will break, and it was easier just to break it. Break it. Wow.
0: It, it adds more depth and layers to the stories right. we read about in the Bible right. and, yeah. and brings real-life feeling to mm. those. And the the essence that he's talking about, I, how how many do you have about, do you know?
3: Uh, different ones because, again, any organic substance that has a uh, smell can mm-hmm. be reduced to that. And I've got nine different ones in the museum wow. that you can actually see what that's like. it's it, pretty cool.
0: And it, it's not like a perfume smell. I mean, when you when you get it, you know, he, he let us try different ones. And it's a natural it, – it's kind of perfumey, but it's a natural – like it's not – it doesn't hit your your nostrils hard. It's very – Easy going on the senses, but it also lasts a long time because of the organic material, correct, yeah,
3: and unlike our modern perfumes that are um, cut with alcohol and water and a whole lot of other things like that, mm. it's a pure organic, and it they have actually found some in Pharaoh's tombs that still has its smell, oh wow, unlike your grandma's perfume that goes <laughs> back right. right. wow, Grandma smelled like alcohol. <laughs>
0: And then you brought another artifact that many people read about in the Bible or other places that are maybe something we we don't see um, often or at all. And I'll let you explain a little bit about what it is. Well,
3: one thing, the Bible, we're used to having it in a codex format, which is pages. And if you go back to the time of Jesus and before that, it was always in scroll. Mm -hmm. And scrolls are long. I couldn't bring a whole scroll. Well, I could have, but it would have been awkward. uh, (laughs) uh, But if you come to the museum, I have a whole scroll unrolled end to end, and so you can actually see it, and it's up there. But this is one column that's cut out of a scroll. And so, again, you're looking at one column. So imagine multiple columns going both directions from that. You can see where the scribe puts lines on the skin itself, Mm -hmm. and the Hebrew text hangs under the line. Mm. Where we write on top of our line, and of course yeah. it reads backwards to the way we read left to right. It reads right to left, and uh, it's on deerskin. And deerskin was the common scroll material. That uh-huh. it wasn't that they didn't try other things. Of course, it would have to be a clean animal. Yeah. So you're not right. going to have you know pig skin. And pigskin right. would be nice and soft, unfortunately. But, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the things that happens over time, they can get brittle. And this one's starting to get brittle. Um, yeah. It, uh. It's a, it's about 350 years old. Are you okay with us well, touching uh, it? Yeah. yeah.
0: And and this is a scroll of what? What What is this passage? Um,
3: this, this one is Exodus. And... Uh, and then, you know, I, I've got a lot of um, – from the law, of course, are the, are the big ones that I have most of mine. And the one that's completely intact in the museum is book of Deuteronomy, the whole book of Deuteronomy. Oh, wow. But I also have a small private scroll that would have been in a private collection rather than in a synagogue. These were synagogue scrolls. Okay. Um, but I have a private one of the book of Esther.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be, cool. so be
0: cool. In different Thank types you. of skin, could they stitch pieces together – together or did they try to get one large piece of, of
3: leather one of the reasons they used deer was deer was a large animal and the right. bigger the animal the less stitching you had to do and <laughs> right. and and yes most of these were um, you know you could get probably get four to five columns before you'd have to stitch okay and uh, and then if you did it on a smaller animal like a sheep You'd probably only get two, three on the outside, and you'd have to be stitching. So, you know, and then depending on the area, if they sometimes struggled to have the right – you could use sheepskin was one of them. You could try goat. Goat was a clean animal, but goatskin is self-rolling. Um mm. it like if I had this and it was goat I'd be trying to hold it to lay it down oh. and you let go of it and it would just you know this one do it because it's been rolled up for so long but it's this is softer than it looks um the the goat skin is actually very tense and huh. it'll roll right yeah. back up but I do have one in the museum that's on goat skin so I can show you what that's like
1: what is your most prized if you have like one thing like a
3: most prized possession that you've Wow. If you, it, if you have one. it It's hard to narrow it down to one. Um, a lot of our artifacts have, as you mentioned, stories mm-hmm. that go with them. And so mm-hmm. a lot of it's the story that goes with it. Yeah. Some of the, uh, the rare items that I have, uh, things with writing are normally mm-hmm. the rarest. And the older it is with writing, the rarer it is. And mm-hmm. I have a cuneiform tablet from before the time of Abraham. Oh, wow. Goodness. That's awesome.
0: Wow. Something you talked about when we made a visit was most artifacts now that are recovered or found on a dig are broken or in pieces, and it's very rare to have complete artifacts.
3: Yeah, and again, depends on the item. Um, Oil lamps are a very common artifact because it was the light bulb of the Middle East, and every building had more than one for the most part, and – you can often find an oil lamp that's intact or just, you know, the handle chipped on it or things of that sort. And, um, but the bigger the object, um, depending on what it's made out of, it's glass. Romans did glass. Uh, the Phoenicians did glass even. And uh, glass objects, very easy for them to break. And so the larger it is out of a material like that, the rarer it is. And, you know, I can show you a Roman glass perfume bottle. And um, I've actually got a couple different styles of that. <laughs>
2: When you go when you go overseas or whatever to go and dig for these things, is it typically that you just don't know what you're about to get into? Like you don't know what you're about to find? Or is there like sometimes where you actually have an idea, okay, we're going to look for this mirror?
3: For the most part of a dig, you have no idea. Um, okay. And sometimes because you know what the building is, you have an idea of what okay. you're more likely to find in that. Yeah. Um I tend to be on the the easy side of it, and it 's because um i 'm never there at the very beginning for the most part uh, uh, okay i'm i 'm there towards the end of a dig because that 's when it 's best for photo cataloging the site things of that sort yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah
0: if someone was to go overseas and they 're in a marketplace, vendors everywhere, and they 're saying, Let me sell you this artifact.' it's authentic it's from wherever they happen to be what what would you tell them to be on the lookout for
3: well when i take group over that happens every now and then you know do you have the guy going you know i have something to sell (laughs) you know and uh, um and fake coins are uh, one of the big ones now and and they have some good fakes um now how do you age a coin to make it look? You know, they'll they'll even hand strike them, they'll, so they'll get some um, some bronze, and you know they'll hand strike it. But then it has to age; it doesn't have the patina, things of that sort. And to do that, uh, you know, at least two of the countries over there, they'll actually feed them to their chickens. And when they come out the back end of the chicken, the acids in the chicken's stomach have actually artificially aged the coin. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's different. That is <laughs> That's dedication. That is That's called uh, tr-
0: uh, trial by error. They try everything and see what works. Yeah,
3: and then, you know, I I can look at if someone has a handful of coins, um, some of them actually are scavengers where they've they've been out actually finding coins and they found them mm-hmm. and and so sometimes they'll have some authentic coins sometimes in a in a mixture. Of of coins that are there, and uh, you know, I can go through it and go by looking at again to to expose a counterfeit. You have to know the original. So if Mm, you know what the real ones, you know, Mm. uh, I had one guy come up to me and he said, you know, these are all real, and uh, (laughs) and so I was looking at one and he he knew he that I was interested in buying it just because I paused on it and and Angie said, you're not going to buy that, are you? And I went. Yeah, I wanted to buy it because I wanted to show it. And I have it in the museum because it's a counterfeit and it's a good counterfeit. But it's great to show because it was done as if the coin was bronze. But that coin was never minted in bronze. No,
0: Stay in school, kids. Learn your stuff. (laughs) Learn your craft. (laughs) Learn your craft. so you you would take group or you do take groups still today, correct yeah,
3: and what I was seeing if I'll back up to um I was on a, a trip in nineteen ninety nine and I'm standing at the Sea of galilee and i I like to talk to people and ask what they've seen and you know as they're and and so one of the things I noticed that most of the people I was standing talking to were older, you know, a lot of gray hair and one of the things I kept hearing from some of them was, "I wished I'd done this when I was younger," hmm. because it does change the way you read the Bible. We, we filter everything from a Western mindset, and to suddenly see it in its proper Eastern context, it helps a lot. You know, for the, everything from the terrain to you know what the cities, towns, you know, villages would have looked like, the artifacts, you know, all of that. And so I kept hearing that, but at the same time, I asked somebody, "So what all did you see today?" And they'd rattle off some of the sites they went to, and you know, one guy said, "Yeah," he said, "We went to see Sodom today." And I went, "Oh, so you were over in Jordan?" No, here in Israel. And I went, mm, "It's not a real site." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, there's t- honest tourist traps, right. and uh, and I mean. Yeah, and a lot of people go and think that you're seeing the real thing. And, you know, th- there is an actual excavation of the site for um, Sodom, but mm-hmm. you have to go to the country of Jordan. You know, it's That's on the right. other side of the Dead Sea. Right. And, uh, and you have that for a lot of the different sites. Um, some of them um, – some are close. Some of them have shrines there, and you know, like the, the, the Roman Catholic Church built some shrines over what they thought were the right sites. And and one of them is the Mount of Beatitudes, and I mean, there's a shrine there, oh, and wow. the buses is in and they've got all the gift shops and you know, paved driveway <laughs> and everything of that sort, and uh, and you walk in, and you're loosely at the right spot, but the actual spot. Is actually further down and just a little bit further away from where they are, mm-hmm. and you can tell it's the right site because it's a natural amphitheater. Mm-hmm. Jesus had an excellent spot for teaching a large group of people, <laughs> and to do that, you got to go walk through a farmer's field. So I get permission from the farmer's field. We walk the fields, so and we never even pull into the main parking lot. Okay. You that's know, <laughs> neat. And then you know, the most visited spot in all of Israel is the Via Dolorosa. Do you remember a, an old Sandy Patty song? Mm-hmm. Um, Sandy Patty did you know a song called "Down the Via Del Rosa" and, and okay. it was a you know well decades ago now and uh, and a lot of people heard that song and they said you know that was supposed to be the road that Jesus walked on when he was going for his crucifixion and so mm. they say well this is where I want to walk and if if you ask the tourism department in Israel what the most visited spot in all of Israel is and they'll say the Via, Via Del Rosa okay unfortunately the Via Del Rosa the road that you're walking on was not there at the time of Jesus. <laughs> so you can go walk it, right? yeah. but, it's but it's not the real road. <laughs> so if you want to walk on a road that Jesus walked on, to do that, the city was destroyed so many times. And, and unlike, you know, if we destroy a building, we take away all the ruins and smooth mm-hmm. the spot and use it again. It, everything was out of stone. If you knock down buildings, you just built on top of it again. Mm-hmm. And so – You can get destruction layers that can be 10, 20, 30, 40. Well, Mm -hmm. in this case, you've got to go 40 feet below ground to hit the road that Jesus walked on. Gotcha. And so I'll take you you into the tunnels because there (laughs) are tunnels that have been excavated, and we'll walk on an actual road that Jesus would have walked on. Oh, that's neat.
0: So on some of these trips, you go on – it, you're, you're showing them can, the area or whatever the the sites are where you happen to be. Not everyone is going to dig, correct?
3: That's correct. And, and really, it's not generally possible for everybody to dig. Um, if you want to actually go on a dig, you have to, um, for the most part, Sign up for there, – there's some universities that have programs that you can sign up and you, you go and spend a month or two months and, and work on a particular dig. And mm-hmm. that's the way most people that want to do it now get involved. What what I do is kind of an exception to, to all of that. And, and, and it's a dying exception because, again, the idea of the, the private – person involved in this is something they're trying to keep out of it now mm-hmm. uh, that the scholarly world in the West isn't interested at all I, I've got good contacts in the east but you know over here an archaeologist you know to them I'm a, at best a glorified treasure hunter yeah
0: <laughs> which is sad because you're doing it for the right reason right exactly. and tr- preserving history but also displaying history and putting it out there for others to learn more about the Bible more about Jesus and have that personal connection yes. We mentioned earlier um, fossils you have some fossils in the museum as well and you told a great story when when we came by the museum about flash flood events and some of the the fossils you have can you talk about that
3: well one thing that um, we're often told about fossils is that it takes millions of years for a fossil to form and that um, sometimes the burial would take hundreds of years of just slowly sediment building up until it's actually covered the object. And, I mean, uh, you know, fish is a great example of that because uh, we have fossil fish all over the world. And, I mean, here in the United States, we've got some great fossil fish beds. And uh, you take a fish and they, they've actually tried this experiment um, it, uh, theoretically, you know, if you follow what's in some of the books, you'd think the fish was swimming along, he dies, he sinks to the bottom, and then over some time, some sediment builds up over top of him, and then slowly he's turned into rock. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you get from the books. <laughs> and uh, they actually tried the experiment to see whether or not that was true. And so they actually took a fish… And they found the right conditions, the water that had low oxygen, everything that they said would be the right conditions for that to happen. And they went to put the fish in, and they had a problem because the fish floated rather than sink. And anybody who's had a goldfish knows that the majority of fish actually do float. Yeah. they do. So they then skewed the results a little bit, so they actually fastened the fish down to the bottom. and. The problem with that was the next day when they came to check on it, there was no fish there. Scavengers had immediately eaten it. Of course. And and so, so they now doubly skewed the results by fastening the next fish down and actually putting a cage over this one to keep the scavengers away from it. That sounds natural. Yeah. And so then on the third day when they checked on it, the bones had completely desiccated. They'd actually fallen apart. And yet you look at all the fish that are found around the world, the majority of them, the mm-hmm. bones are still fully intact. Mm-hmm. In other words, still fastened to the backbone. All the little vertebrae are still mm-hmm. exactly in the right positions. And the only way that can happen is with rapid almost instant burial. So okay. y- you've actually got water, liquefied minerals, everything that is sweeping over and burying. Mm. And again, it's something that's predicted by invent in the Bible, the global flood. So it's not to say that every fossil was created by the flood but a great many fossils would have been created by the flood just because of the amount of water and what it's moving. And we know water moves a whole lot of mineral, a whole Mm -hmm. lot of rock quickly.
0: Well, we have just hit the tip of the iceberg. We could have, I don't know how many episodes (laughs) um, uh, with with Brent here but um, if you would like to um, donate to cottage cove or volunteer with cottage cove or if you'd like to maybe uh, talk about putting a group together to travel overseas or um, go visit the museum reach out to us podcast at parkwaybc.net we'll put you in touch or again you can reach out to brent through cottage cove um, through their website but brent thank you so much for being here thank you for sharing just a little bit I, i I know these guys are excited. I hope the other listeners are, are as excited and, and uh, do some research, do some homework, but also be able to feel that more personal connection to the Bible.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy Absolutely. it. Thanks.
0: All right, final send us out, buddy.
1: All right. Reading from John 12, 25 and 26, it says, uh, The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So that just goes with we're called to serve. So in any capacity that we can, um, thank you so much for all that you do and the lives that you and your program impact. So good stuff.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. And, yeah. and uh, for sure, impacting the community here locally and also keeping – Bible history alive for for many people and many generations to come. So, thank you for joining us on GPS to God. We will see you all again next week.
2: Thank you for listening to GPS to God. Please leave us a rating on iTunes and also subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell if you would like to receive notifications when new.